Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Closing the Wealth Gap. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you how to close the wealth gap in your own life with the man who's done it for many, our wealth coach himself, Tyrone French. Hey, Tyrone. Hey, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me in. I like that introduction. Um, man, you know, we got a lot to talk about today, but first thing I want to do is uh, thank our audience. I want to just, I thank you. I appreciate you for tuning in. I appreciate the emails and the text messages that we're getting and that, you know, we are making an impact and we just try to keep people informed as far as what's going on based on current events. And it's like I said, if, if you have a, a specific question that you want to address on closing the wealth gap, again, shoot me an email, feel free to call me, uh, send me a text message. Uh, I have this app. It's text closing the wealth gap to three, six, two, six, zero closing or text closing the wealth gap the three six two six zero you can always give me a call in my office eight seven seven two nine six five one nine two or go to my website closing the wealth gap dot coach uh paul are you there i am i have you in the whole palm of my hands today here <laughs> i've got your app i got the phone you know what though i gotta put it down for a moment because I know what we're going to talk about today. I got to grab onto something here. I got to hold on. Okay. Cause there's well, something, there's something coming here. Well, you know, we, we got this thing, you know, COVID, COVID-19 <laughs> terrible disease, but it, it, it exposed a economic fault line in America. And a lot of people, you know, they couldn't work. Matter of fact, they were, they were told not to go to work. Uh, the government will come in and, and provide certain assistance, certain programs that will help people, uh, you know, to, to get through this apocalypse that we're that, that we're dealing with. But it created based on cause and effect, it created another uh, nightmare. And it's an eviction apocalypse that's coming. And I was reading the other day how, you know, Congress, they decided to let that eviction moratorium expire quietly. We don't need it anymore. People are coming back to work. And so what about all these millions of people? We said, don't pay your rent. You can't pay your rent. Don't worry about it. They can't kick you out. We won't give you the money for the rent, but don't worry about it right now. We'll just put that off. And so many people, particularly people of the you know lower tier income levels here who live paycheck to paycheck, ain't been paying their rent, ain't been paying their house payments for months and now they're going to get a big fat bill and the the scary part about it paul again i see both sides from the landlord point of view and from the tenant point of view but it's the banks <laughs> it's the banks it the, I, when you watch these these uh, uh these when i read these newsletters and i watch these uh, financial shows and stuff and they're talking about this impending opportunity that's coming based on the housing market. Yeah. And how all, you know, you're going to have all these uh, evictions. You're going to have all these foreclosures, mm -hmm. which is going to create another opportunity for wealthy people and rich people to become richer. And I've been saying this on my show 
since the inception, you know, we're going to we're getting to the point where we're going to have the haves and the have nots. And so what what and there may not be a way to close that gap. It may get to be it's like the climate crisis. They keep saying we're going to reach a tipping point where you can't suddenly just dial it back. You can't be either. Paul, it's going to be either or. Yeah, right. It's going to be it's it's almost like uh, when it talks about the Bible talks about the defining line uh, of a spirit. And how the spirit is so so connected to the soul that they're, they're separate, but they're still one. Well, America again, it's going to be it's going to be separate economically based on uh, uh, lifestyle, but it's still going to be one America. And we've always adjusted, and so people are going to get used to the norm as far as some people just have, and some people don't. And so the. the it's almost like when you look at when America comes to a tipping point when there's a crisis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what comes to mind is 9-11 and how we had the day before 9-11, we had all of these privacy laws and we had a certain amount of freedom that we just took for granted. Nobody's going to listen was- to your uh, cell phone calls. They can't monitor your email. That's un-American. Right. After post 9-11, it's like okay, well, I'm I'm willing to give give up certain a certain amount of my rights just so I can be safe. Right. Well, we're going to get to the point the, where they called it the Patriot Act, and it basically basically gave the government permission to spy on its own citizens, which it had never had before. And and, and again, I'm not going to get into the, the whole uh, Snowden episode and all this other stuff. What I'm what I'm saying is that on a daily small incremental procession the rights are being stripped away and stripped away or freedoms are being stripped away and stripped away in in the in the name of keep me safe yeah keep me safe but isn't that how all authoritarian i i don't want to go too far deep in this but i do fear that a big part of our population uh is willing to give up on democracy it ain't working anymore let's get a more authoritarian uh can do break the rules screw this, uh, screw them, let's just get it done, uh, attitude. And it shows up in all the polls. It showed up in all the, you know, the last controversies we're still arguing about with the last election. And there are many people that just say, throw this thing out. It's not working anymore. We need somebody strong, somebody sent by God just to come in and take over, take charge, and by God, put it back the way we think it should be. <laughs> well, look at look at, look at at uh, when, when the Capitol was stormed. That's yeah, what I'm talking that's, about. That's the, that's a classic example, classic, and a lot of the they, and they were deemed in some groups they were deemed as patriots. Absolutely, for doing that. Absolutely. Other groups they were they were deemed as terrorists. They came because and they said over and over again. Whether you know, again, I don't. You all know my political bent. I'm 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 a very strong anti-Trump, uh, never Trumper for a lot of reasons. Even though I was raised a kind of moderate Republican and still kind of view myself that way. Um, but many of them said, all of them said, as they're getting rounded up and sent, sent, uh, uh, going through the court system, every one of them said, what are you upset about? We saw the problem, elections being stolen. Our president called us to take action and said at the end of the rally, called us there for action. And at the end of the rally said, let's go down to the Capitol now. And we did. But you didn't see that. That That's not the narrative. The, the, oh, that's not what they're spending. These were a bunch of tourists. Well, that, yeah. 
<laughs> right, they're trying to spin that too. There's some people they didn't they didn't have enough tour guys that day, so it kind of got yeah, out so of they hand. decided to bust through the doors and uh, and bring in some uh, nooses and see if they couldn't uh, you know wave some Confederate flags and no, I mean this is it's mind boggling to me. This has never this hasn't happened since our Civil War. We're in some kind of new civil war, and it could lead to violence like that. I don't want to sound too apocalyptic, but I've been saying this for a number of years, and everybody goes. Knock it off. You're overstating it. You're over worrying and everything. And then what happened? People stormed the Capitol waving Trump flags and Confederate flags and roamed the halls shouting, where are you, Nancy? Where are you, Mike Pence? And, and having, uh, you know, nooses. You literally on. had a noose out there. Yeah. Right. Like, I get, what do you call those things? Like, uh, the gaffle? Uh, what do you call it? The, the stanchion? Yeah, what the whatever they call that thing. Yeah, the yeah, gallows. The gallows. They were yeah. erecting that thing out there with, with a noose for, for my. And everybody says, well, that was just for show. Well, it looked, looked pretty real to me. Yeah, it looked pretty real to me, too. So here we are again. Uh, we're, we're, we have a tendency, these things are facing us, and we have a tendency to go, ah, come on. So we've got this eviction crisis that built up. Uh, obviously, a lot of people couldn't go to work. People who lived on a paycheck, paycheck paycheck basis, the people you're always preaching and teaching to here, get off of that uh, cycle because bad things happen and then all of a sudden you're homeless you're, and now you're behind in your rent. You're behind in your mortgage. And the government said all we can do is we're not going to pay your rent and pay your mortgage, but we understand that you've got a problem and you can't go to work. So we'll just give you some time to work that out. Well, time's up. Almost. And then the government suddenly realized in the middle of COVID coming back and, and declining ratings for the new regime, uh, all of a sudden uh, they're saying, we don't need the center plate. Let's kick it down the can a little further here. Let's build that. All that does is just build up the debt bigger. Not only does it, does it, I mean, and we're so used to kicking the can down the road. Yeah. And like you said, it builds up the, the it, it, you know, it makes the, the, the debt balloons. Interest and penalties, I'm but, sure, on top of all these things and stuff here. But it goes back to inflation well, and monetary oh, my devaluation. The more money that we inject based on quantitative easing and uh, these um, uh, these programs. Fancy terms these, for printing these, more these, money. Yeah, these, yeah. these stimulus programs. Exactly. All it's doing is devaluing the currency that's already in circulation, which is making the dollar uh, worth less. So you're going to need more dollars in the future just to buy the same item that you bought today. So going back to the eviction problem, the the issue is, what do you do with all these people that that don't have housing? And so what what Los Angeles did recently is they criminalized housing. Uh, homelessness. I mean, uh, homelessness. Yeah. They criminalized homelessness to whereas if you or if you are at a certain, basically it was so broad. I read the law that basically if you're standing on the sidewalk and uh, you're near a school or you have all this, like a lot of homeless people have these carts and things like vagrant. that. Vagrant. Yeah. You're, you're vagrant. Um, you're breaking the law. And so the issue is the, the, the prisons are already overcrowded. Yeah. Can't put them there. And they, what they did was they pulled back based on uh, privatizing prisons because they were saying, wait a minute, that's, that's, unconstitutional because you, you were locking up all these people uh for for minor crimes and they're getting they're getting these uh we they had these uh, uh, ma- uh minimum maximum sentence sen- sentences to whereas people with a minor infraction 
a nonviolent offense of, uh, offender was getting all this time in jail. Three strikes, all that stuff. Because that strikes, was strikes, all that stuff. It wasn't so that again, long that ago was, where we were afraid of crime and we were afraid that the judges and the prosecutors were being too lean on it. They were cutting too many people loose because the prisons were overcrowded, the system was overcrowded, so they're cutting deals with people left and right, letting them get out early, letting them get away with murder in our mind, not really, but letting them get away with stuff. And so they put these, they imposed the, uh, all these, uh, there, was a, there was a kickback, there, there was a reaction, and they imposed all these minimum and maximums and this whole three strikes idea that, you, which started filling with the prisons even more. Well, Paul, that, that's the blueprint. People, when, when you start interjecting fear into the American psyche, yeah. uh, what, what, what Americans are, people, what, what people are trying to protect is their stuff. Yeah. Don't right. come for my stuff. That's I you. want my yeah. stuff. And that's there's too it. many people coming into this country uh, that are that are infringing upon my right to accumulate my stuff. Or trying to take my stuff away. Trying to take my stuff They're away. They're coming for your stuff. Donald, when we had the riots last summer over all the uh, over the George Floyd and everything in Minneapolis and others, Trump openly said, at least to my crowd, the suburban, the I'm sorry to say the, you know, white suburban crowd, hey, they're coming for you. These, these rioters aren't going to stay down and burn down in the inner city here. They're going to start marching across the bridges. And, in fact, there was a protest that started coming across one of the bridges towards one of the suburbs. And he said, they're coming for you. That the, that affluent white couple in, in St. Louis that stood out in front of their multi-million dollar old, uh, you know, restored, beautiful mansion uh, as people marched by trying to get to the mayor to make their claim, they walked through this ritzy neighborhood and broke down a private gate to this private street of this fancy private enclave of multi-million dollar homes that were built in the turn of the century. And here's this couple that comes out on their porch, famously, and points guns at them. Because they, they were convinced this crowd was coming for them and their here's house. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And looking at going back to the system, not only, uh, not only were they arrested, not only were they convicted, but the governor, they were actually pardoned yep, just by this the week. governor. Just this week. Just this week. And one and of so, them. So, so again, yeah. if, uh, I want you to imagine if, if the, looking at what happened on, uh, on the Capitol that day, I want you to imagine. And, and, I, and I got this from a movie called A Time to Kill. Mm-hmm. And was play, Samuel Jackson uh, was, you know, his daughter had gotten, gotten raped and gotten, you know, uh, molested. Well, gotten raped. Right. And, uh, you know, he took it upon himself as a father. He took the law into his own hands and he, you know, he killed the guys that that raped his daughter. Right. So now he's in jail and now he's on trial. And he had a lawyer that was defending him and the lawyer paid a heavy price for defending this guy based on the community that you know lived in the South. Right. But the, but the bottom line was that he said, I picked you as my attorney as a white guy played by uh, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I he said that. I picked yeah. you because you're one of them. He said we're not. He said you you you're coming in here friendly, but we're not friends. You know we don't hang out. I've never you've never been over to my house and stuff. He said I picked you because you think like them, you act like them. Mm-hmm. And so basically, what the lawyer he, he, the lawyer had a daughter that was about the same age, and so he started to and it wasn't they didn't highlight it in the movie, but that was the gist of it. The guy was like. If somebody had raped my daughter, what would I do as a white man? What would I do? 
And how how would I get myself off? Especially if you so, felt the system was failing you. I had nowhere exactly, else to turn. Right. Exactly. So the bottom line was that when he was given his summation, what he did was he said he went he went through the crime, the entire scene, everything, seeing the little girl and she was they left her to, to, as, yeah, as she was dead, right. left her to die. And all of a sudden, he painted a picture so well. And then he, when he was talking to the jury, he said, now what I want you to do is imagine that that little girl was white. And you could just see the entire, their whole personalities and their characters change. Even the, even the hardened guys that were saying, evict this, uh, convict this guy, he's going to jail, he's guilty. All of a sudden, it was like the whole narrative changed. So let me. So I want you. So I want you to think. I want you to think. If you if you look at the the crowd that that went on at the at the Capitol, I want you to change the narrative and just imagine that they were black, mm-hmm. or Latino, or Muslim, or, Asian, or, or gay, Muslim, or transgender, or, gay. or any other group that suddenly you think is coming for you and yours. Would we have rolled in with tanks? Would we have started? you know, tear gas and, and rubber bullets or real bullets would people, or would we have done what we did here and just sit back for three or four hours and let them wander the halls and then finally come out and say, okay, folks, we love you, which is what the president said, but time to go home. Right. Oh, and, and take this box lunch with you. Yeah. You know, right. we know you, thank you for your, thank you time. for your tour of the Capitol. Hope you enjoyed it. Here's your little memento. Please take this little uh, gallows and this little Confederate flag home in memory, in memory of this wonderful moment. No, I mean, this is, yeah, it, but, but here's the thing. It's, it's, it, you know, it would, it would, I have to laugh to me keep too. From crying. Me too. So let, but let's, let's, let's stay on point. Let's, let's go back to again, because the evictions are going to disproportionately affect a certain segment in the United States, poor. But a lot of times when you're talking about poor and, and underprivileged, we're talking about black, brown. Yeah. Communities people. of color, as they say, people yeah. of cover, people of color. So the issue is, what do we now that there's a problem and we got all these homeless people and now we, we criminalized it uh, like a vagrancy law. It was kind of like uh, like what happened after uh, slavery and in, in the Reconstruction period. And a lot of African-Americans didn't have jobs. And so they created these these vagrancy laws to whereas, you know, if you did if you didn't have a home and, and you didn't have a job, you were arrested. And if you got arrested, you immediately because of the 13th, you immediately became uh, a slave again. Because yeah, I, of the state. Well, because you were enslaved. Now you're a debt slave. You're a you're a you're not a you don't have the same physical shackle around your leg leg and neck anymore, but they take you and put you as a ward of the state or they make you uh, on a work gang or a work crew or and they something put else. You, yeah. Exactly. They put you to work. They put you to... I, I like that movie, uh, Shawshank, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, it's another great Remember movie. Remember that movie? Oh, very much. Ex- excellent Brilliant. movie. And the warden he had, you know, he had all these people on these work details and the contractors were coming to him saying, hey, look, I can't underbid you for these jobs. So can you look the other way? And he he, he said, "Here, have this have this fine pie that my wife baked for you." And he opened up the the container and saw you know the bills and the stacks of stacks of money. And it, the warden was like, "You know what? I don't see where there's going to be a problem with your next contract." <laughs> so so my so point your is, point well, is what I- do you do? Here's again, what do you do with all of these homeless people 
I know what you uh, think is going to happen, and it's shocking because you told me the other day. You think we're going to create literally concentration camps, places where we concentrate this homeless population, which is now expanded with this newly homeless population, got kicked out of their apartments and their homes because they couldn't. They they got behind in their bills because the jobs shut down for three months, not through their fault, and they didn't have any savings. And they let them live there for three or six months, and now they got this massive bill with penalties, with interest, which makes it even double or triple more. And there's no way they're going to pay it, so they're going to be a whole new wave of homeless. You think the government's going to round up these people, somebody's going to round up these people, and we're going to put them in work camps. Oh, they're not going to call them concentration camps. No, that sounds like but, the Nazis. But, but, yeah. but here's the thing. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> and so what uh, yeah. you have to do is look at the history based on what we have done in the past. Yeah. In the past, when there was uh, when there's a national security threat, which, again, if you've got millions of people in the United States that are that are homeless, that is a national security threat. And especially with COVID raging. The, the the variant raging that's a national security threat mm-hmm. and so you know I, like i said they're not going to call it uh, a concentration camp but i can i can envision how when uh, certain corporations used to step in uh or like uh the, whether it was uh, ford or, or firestone they used to have these communities and they had these communities and you 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 shopped at the company store you lived in the company yeah. house but you ran up all these debts to whereas once you got paid you gave your money right back to the company because you were in debt. Well, same thing with used the used to be a song when I was a kid, Jimmy Dean, you know, owe my soul to the company store. <laughs> yeah, you know, you and they yes. had such high interest rates, it's the only place to buy it. And so the minute you you went down the mine, and as soon as you came up, you handed them all your money, and you were still behind. And it, it became a form of enslavement. You could never get out of it. You were so debtors. Gov- See, the government can't solve this problem. Because they can't keep throwing money, they can't do it alone. Because they, if the, the more they keep throwing money at it, the more it devalues the dollar. Right. So corporations have to step in, and and and, and they're going to have these community. It's like I can envision uh, X Y Z. You go to work for X Y Z company, right? And X Y Z company has bought all this real estate in this community, and because you live, you work for X Y Z company, you're entitled to to live at. Uh, at, at this in this particular zip code that's owned by the XYZ for company. reduced rent and all these reduced other rent and and they they set up their own medical facilities uh, dental facilities they have their own commissary which is supermarket and you're doing everything based on a credit and and so when you get paid you have an account to whereas you you're literally based on your your ledger and your balance you're paying off that ledger to that company. It's kind of like uh, uh, being an insurance agent. Mm-hmm. If I work for XYZ insurance agent and I'm writing policies, they pay me. They could pay me in advance on that policy. Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm with that company, I have a ledger, meaning that I have this uh, this balance that I've, that I've accrued over time. Credits and I, debits. But yeah. if, credits and debits. But if I decide to leave that company, I have to pay off that balance yeah. that I accrued. And if I cannot pay off that balance, then I need to stay at that co- stay at that company until I can pay that balance off. There's so many examples of that. My father, when he was, you know, my father just left this earth a long time ago, but he worked for Chrysler for 40 years. And at one point, he was approached by the emerging Japanese car companies as they were looking for executives. He worked for Chrysler. And many of his underlings did and became quite wealthy and quite successful. And I said, why didn't you leave Chrysler? He said, they had me by the 
he would mm. rather crude the way he'd say it, you know, it had me by the cojones. And I said, well, how do you mean? He said, because my retirement was based that they matched it yes. so much. And yes. so if I left, all that went away or I had to give it back or something. There was some, yes. there was some trick that the, and the longer – so you had to stay to, to realize the full value of that. If you left, you lost a lot of that. Now, what he didn't realize is that inflation hit, was eating away at that. And what he thought was a big sum in 1965 of $3,000 a month was a pittance when he finally retired in 1995 or whatever it was. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, so it's, he it's, stayed it's, under a false assumption. He said, I should have left and just taken a bigger salary and said, keep your stinking matching retirement and right. uh, right. go do something else. It's funny how you, you know, you you never get all the variables like fees and taxes and inflation on the dollar. You know, you just think of that, you know, you, you, you're going to be at this company a certain while and then your retirement is going to be a certain, uh, certain dollar amount and you're going to be living off that income uh, and riding off into the sunset. And the reality is that it doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get, stay on point about the, um, eviction. about what I think is going to happen with these, the, the evictions. And again, uh-huh. this is just, this is just a, a, a personal point of view. It doesn't mean that, uh, this is going to happen like this. But like I said, uh, you know, history you can see it. Rhymes. This, yeah. Right. You know, it's almost, you can see the writing on the wall. You got to how you got to do something with these people. So because you can't like just round them up, housing. you can't just well, round them up and, and pay for the like and people won't put up that either. Just as we're, we're sick of building new prisons. And so now we're trying to put less people in prison. We're going to turn them into work camps of some sort because we don't want to do welfare. We don't want to just pay these people enough, uh, uh, money forever. They don't want it. We don't want it. So we're going to have to put them to work. Well, that but, doesn't sound but bad. I just I envision it as being like ghettos on steroids. Yeah, right. A and again, and and so yeah, we got to put these. I mean, they're we're housing them. We're paying this money. Uh, we have to get some type of value out of them. So we we're going to put them to work. And we're not going to be paying them a, a, a huge salary because they're already receiving a benefit from the state or, or uh, from other institutions. So now they're producing all of these goods and services that other companies won't be able to compete with. But they're there. They're there because the primary uh, problem is that they need to be housed. And pretty soon and if you house these people. If you house them, you need to be able to take care of them. You got to feed them. You have to make sure they have adequate medical care, and you can do all of that within the confine the com, uh, the confines of that. Whether you want to call it an encampment, whether you want to call it a, a ghetto, work, whether you camp, want to call it uh, a yeah. camp, whatever you want to call it, uh, you can even call it a base. You can call it a base <laughs> camp. <laughs> but what you're saying is, we do this because we got to do. We want to help these people. And we feel bad for them, and and we're afraid of them. If we turn them loose in the streets, chaos, uprisings, crime, health crisis, they're wandering the streets, urinating everywhere and getting everybody sick and scaring off business and scaring the neighbors and scaring the kids, and and we feel bad for them as human beings. So for all these reasons, we step in, and then somebody says, hey, this kind of works. You know, this is, this is cheap labor. This is, this is pretty cool. Let's keep this going. Look at it like this. Uh, America, we, we, our company, our country is very, uh, we adapt extremely well. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 we have these norms. And, and again, it happens over time, 
but you can see the, the, the development and you can see the growth, but it's always predicated on a crisis. And so the crisis today that that does not really hit in the media is a lot of people that don't have money right now. They, they can't afford uh, to live. What they're doing is they're just going into these shopping centers. They're just going into these drug stores. They're just going into these, these merchants uh, places and they're just taking what they want. A prime example is uh, uh, San Francisco. They'll highlight it in San Francisco what's going on, but it's happening all over the country. My daughter works in retail. I won't say for what big manufacturer, or, or, I mean a big retail chain, but it's a big one. It's a big clothing retail chain. And she works in security. And she was talking about it the other day. And then I heard somebody else who uh, was a manager for Best Buy at my, uh, I hate to, I don't want to sound too rich, but there's a little community pool where my little subdivision has a little community pool. And I was sitting there listening to these guys chatting away. And they make good money. They're managers for Best Buy. And they said the same thing my daughter said. The amount of theft has gone way up. People are yes. literally just walking into these stores and walking out with stuff. Yes, because they know that they know that they can't get arrested. They can't get arrested. It's, it's not a violent crime. Uh, it's probably under maybe nine hundred dollars. And so you call the police, and it's like, well, what do you want us to do? Exactly. What do exactly. you want us to do? Exactly. So we got to wrap this up, Paul. Yes. I mean, this is we're not going to finish this topic in no. just one show. No. This is something that we have to continue to address and to wake but up I people to what's happening because it's there's some threads running through. So I'll give you a funny example, then you can summarize here. Years and years ago, I'm old enough to remember the first gas crisis crunch in the mid-70s when the Arabs artificially jacked up the price of the oil and suddenly there were long lines at the gas okay. station. Yes. And yes. everybody was shocked. Suddenly it took an hour to get gas and we were all panicked. What do you mean we don't have enough gas? What do you mean we don't make any gas? We buy it all from there. That's when all these foreign wars started. That's when we started going over and saying we're never going to let them do that again. That was one of the consequences. Iraq. Yes. You know, on and on and on, all these interventions and stuff here. It was because yeah. the oil was there, and we didn't want to see that happen again. And my father at the time, who was – you would have liked my father, I think. I think he would have liked you because <laughs> you both think the same. He's always looking at the big picture, and it all always had to do with money. His favorite joke was I start to argue about something. He said, wait, 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 I know the answer already. The answer is money. Now, what was your question? Yes. And he yes. would start, and I would just think it was funny. So just he cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. I know it's money that we're that's all about. Why? Why doesn't the Catholic Church uh, let priests marry? It's money. Uh, why are they uh, doing this? It's money. You it's know. money. Whatever it was, it was money. Now, and, what is your argument? So here, yeah, and so here, right. Yeah, tell me the argument, but, but I know the answer already is money. Exactly. Uh, so he said at the time uh, when uh, one of the offshoots, we didn't notice it much at the time, but prior to that OPEC shock. Under the under the Carter administration, whenever that was, seventy six, something like that, or, or something like that. Um, prior to 75, that, seventy five, seventy five, seventy five. Okay, yes. prior to that, there was a little guy that came out and pumped your gas. Exactly. After that, because the prices had gone up, one of the ways they said, "Well, we'll help you out," is you pump your own gas and we'll drop the price of nickel. Self service, full service, and self service had two signs. And pretty soon, full service was gone because they trained us all to do this. And my dad's, they tricked, and the exactly. prices went right back up to where they were. They didn't exactly. come down. And he said that he said those sons of bitches tricked us. He said they told us one thing: they got us to pump our own gas and pay more for it. Exactly. And and it's, and the new generation, they don't know about. What, how it used to be. No. This is just the norm. 
So the new so norm is we're gonna we're gonna take care of you. We're gonna first we're gonna you can't stay in the streets. Can round you all up. That's ugly and awful for you and for us. So we're gonna round you all up. Can't put you in prison because no space ever. We're gonna create some new thing you think called a work camp or something. We'll provide for you. We give you and all it is is another form of indebtedness to us now because you owe your soul to the company store and you can't ever get out. And you're you're so behind in the money you owe us that you never and the accumulates and we're gonna charge you. To, a, a premium for all this stuff. You, Indentured servitude. Indentured servitude. We're going to go back to that. Yeah. Yikes. They, now, they may not call it that. No, they won't but, if they're smart. But, <laughs> <laughs> and they're pretty smart. <laughs> but it goes it goes by, don't go by what I say, go by what I do. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the reason we call certain things, like let's say you see somebody being abused. Um, it's It's abuse based on somebody's perception. And, it, and based and so the victim will say, "Well, that's not abuse; that's love." Somebody else will say, "Well, no, that <laughs> that's abuse." That's pretty abuse. He punched in the face, yeah. But so, he loves me, yeah. Exactly. So looking at that system, you know, you're going to have the two two sides debating that. Well, this is this is abusive, and this is uh, this horrible. is inhumane. This is right. horrible. And some people are going to say, "No, this is the most humane thing that we can do because what is the alternative?" Let them let live in the streets openly and defecate all over the place here and get themselves sick and get addicted to drugs and no, 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 no. We're saving them from themselves. I'll give you one and, more. And, but 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 again, I got, let me. It goes back to money. So money. here here's the argument: when people's neighborhoods start to be impacted because of their home prices and their home values are being or their home the value of the home is beginning to decline because of all of the graffiti and all of the homelessness right. and all. People, the, the outcries are you have to do something. You got to do something about this. And so it's almost like it's almost like uh, somebody drinking uh, uh, dirty water. You know, they they would much rather have a clean glass of water. But if they're thirsty enough, if there's a little bit of sediment in there, they'll drink it. And so in the, the uh, '80s, under we forget all this stuff. Under when uh, crime was the the raging thing, the Republicans running around. Crime is wild in the big cities, New York especially here, and maybe it was, and it was graffiti everywhere. And Times Square was filled with graffiti and drug abuse and everything. Giuliani and some others came in and said, "Okay, we're going to start cleaning this up." And one of the ways they did it is by profiling. We're going to start pulling people over and hassle them. You look like you're African-American and young. You look like you're without a job. We're going to start pulling you over. We're going to start hassling people. We're going to start locking them up. We're going to start targeting who we think the the prime suspects are in this problem. And to a certain degree, it worked. They cleaned it up. Same thing after 9-11. We're going to start targeting no-fly zones. If you got a Muslim name and you look like a potential terrorist, uh, we're going to start profiling these people, and we're going to start looking for them. Sheriff Joe down in Arizona wants every cop, if he sees two Hispanics riding in a car, pull them over and check to see if they're legal. Even if they did nothing wrong, pull them over, because we suspect two Mexicans in a car don't belong here. We suspect two Muslims on a plane might be a problem. We suspect two African-American boys with hoodies walking through uh, the streets of a tough neighborhood might be ready to do graffiti or crime. And so we start... Uh, we surrender those freedoms for more protection. For more protection. And again, protection of what? My stuff. My stuff. My wow. way of life. My way preserve uh, the way. Status you know, quo. I, I want the status quo. Thank you. The status quo. 
Well, that's where we're going to have to leave it. It's it's eye opener when you start. You pull all these threads together, and you get me seeing this thing. It, it it is an over. I don't know if it's orchestrated like like we want to believe that there's ten people in the room saying, ah, now let's do this. They won't figure. It. We're going to get them. To, we're going to tell them first that we're going to do self service, and then we'll just jack the price right back up again. I don't know if it's that evil and well thought up, but that's what no, happens. No, no. no it, it's almost like it's almost like racism. Most 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 individuals as most people as individuals. They're not racist, that's so to true. speak. That's true. One on one, it become racism when it when you when you, when it becomes collective. It's a yes. collective group. That's a good point. It's a it's a systemic issue to where it's like you may not want to discriminate against somebody, but you have a job and your job is paying your bills and you're going to work and there's certain quotas that has to be met uh, in order for you to maintain your job. So you're going to do certain things on your job uh, because again they're paying the bills, but you're not looking at the totality. Or the law, the larger effect of that decision that you're making, how it's impacting a, a certain hard to community. hate people one on one. That's why the best way to fight racism and fear is to get to people. Cops, they learn that in community policing. The cops would drive in, and everybody's looking at them, and they're looking at everybody as a criminal, and everybody's looking at them as some, you know, somebody's going to arrest them. And it's when they start walking the streets, community policing, get to know the people you're dealing with. Now, you, now it's. Now it's not them and us; it's exactly. you and me. Exactly. Uh, my fa- late father again. I adopted my only daughter's Hispanic. I adopted her f- as an illegal from Mexico. She fell into foster care, and I adopted her. My father would rant and rave about Mexicans. What did you hate about them? Well, you know uh, this and that, and everything he didn't like. They didn't learn the language and everything else. And I said, "So you're talking about your only grandchild, my daughter? No, no, not her. She's great." Exactly. It's all those others. <laughs> not her. I'm not talking about her. She's great. Exactly. 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 And then I'd say, well, so what is it you don't Bravo. like? They don't learn the language. Your mother, your grandmother raised you. She came from Poland. She lived in a Polish neighborhood, spoke Polish her whole life. From the day she died, I never never learned a word of English. Seventy years she lived in the ghetto in Detroit. The neighborhood was in Polish. The signs were in Polish. The mass was in Polish. And she never bothered to learn English. I said, so that's what you're talking about, like your grandmother who you love? Well, not her. She was fine. It's all these other immigrants that come and don't learn the language, just like your grandmother. Oh, no, not her. She's different. Yes. Well, like I said, Paul, this is some, it's going to be an ongoing conversation that we're going to have. Eye opener. And we're going to have some people on the show that can, because we, here's the thing, we got to solve this problem. I mean, we're, we're addressing and exposing the problem, but we have to find a way to heal. We got to, we have to, we have to clean this thing up. We have to, we have to not just put a band aid on it, but we, again, we have to make sure that it's that, that we're healing as a nation. And with us just being so divided right now, yes. and us versus them, people, they're, they're, they're in their camps and they don't want to, they don't want to bridge it. You know, my way is, is right. And whatever you're thinking is, is misinformed and it's fake news or blah, blah, blah. The alternative is that we fall apart. And if and we fall apart and society falls apart and, and massive amounts of people get homeless, a massive amount of people are, uh, are, have to be rounded up and dealt with and taken care of and more welfare, more prisons, more camps, more of this and everything else, Some my dad would say, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for it? We are. We are. We, the the remaining, uh, you know, whatever we are, uh, the shrinking middle class. And that's been your thesis from the beginning. So, you know, either we have to, one, collectively come together and see the big problem and not let it get bad. And two, 
we got to prepare in our own lives. Maybe I can't fix it. So what am I going to do to insulate myself, my family, my income, et cetera, et cetera? How can I avoid falling into this trap? And how can I personally, while I'm trying to get the whole group to change the direction of the ship, how can I make sure that I get on the lifeboat when the Titanic goes down? Exactly. Well, Paul, I tell you what, um, you know, the people that's listening into the show today, you know, like I said, we're hold just, on. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to to you know to expose a situation that it doesn't have to be this way. Right. Um, Bigger issues. You know, but we want you to keep tuning in. You know, keep sending us your emails. Keep you know sending your text messages. Um, you know, and we do this as a labor of love. You know, because we the lifestyle that that I that I live, I want everybody to, to live this lifestyle. I was, I was watching this program last night and it was talking about this difference between being rich and being wealthy. And the difference between wealthy and rich is that wealthy people don't have to, they don't have to worry about money. And when you don't have to worry about money 24 seven, you, you can look out your window and see the birds, you know, yeah. uh, you can, you can, you know, you'll, you'll see the grass growing, you'll see the, the, the flowers blowing in the wind. And it's all the saying is that you're taking time to feel your humanity again, to feel peaceful again, to feel to feel some type some element of rest in your soul. And a lot of people don't have that luxury, Paul. They're they're, no. they're constantly focused. They're fearful. On they're frightened. Uh, how they can pay my bills? I want yeah. I need to pay my bills. And how do I do this? And that leads to all these other false assumptions. It's somebody else. It's them. They're stealing it. They're coming for me. They're coming. Coming from it's my that, stuff. Coming from my stuff. All right. Well, we're going to come back. Give us your. Uh, how do we come and get more of your stuff? Well, again, what I want you to do is, you know, if you're, you know, everybody has a telephone. So if you want to go to my website, go to closingthewealthgap.coach. If you want to download my free mobile app, it won't take up any space on your phone. Just text closing the wealth gap to 36260. Again, text closing the wealth gap to 36260. Or just give me a call. There's somebody that a live operator will answer that phone 24 7. Operator standing just, by. Just call 877 296 5192. Again, call Tyrone at 877 296 5192 and we'll help you get the answers. And again, I don't know everything, but there's somebody within my network that can answer that question that you have. Amen. All right. Till next time, my friend. That's our show for this week Closing the Wealth Gap, the one show, the only show that shows you how to take control of your financial future. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.